So you're not going to be texting? <laughs> so I, I enjoy working through, you know, commentaries to our club and some Ramban and things like that. And reading through the Ramban commentaries, of which Art Scroll has several volumes, um, it, it has an introduction where Ramban, Ramban excuse me, talks about how when he does his commentaries and his studying, he, he does it with a, with, with a fear and a, and a and a an awe of God. He wants to. Ma- he doesn't want what he's saying to be uh, misconstrued, and he wants it to be just lay it out on the table, nothing hidden. And so I, I took that into account as I prepared this, and I, I feel like it, it was a, it, it really helped to get me in the right spot, in the right spiritual state to um, talk about such a an incredible topic. Uh, tonight the, uh, on the docket is tzedakah, uh, behavior of the righteous ones, a complicated and rewarding mitzvah. And so tzedakah is sort of the, bear with me, I'm, I'm just going to be going straight from my slides. That's kind of how I did this, just to make it more conversational. So you'll see a bunch of slides, don't feel like you have to take them all, it's available for anyone who wants it, and there you have it. All right, so it's a lot more complicated than any of us imagined. Sadaka, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the concept of charity, uh, or and it and it's actually linked to well, the, the word sadaka comes from the word from which we have righteousness or tzaddik. That's that's us. Um, it, in recent understanding, it's it's sort of a uh, not a moniker, but a shorthand way of also saying charity. Okay, so the, the two are considered to be synonymous, just for those of you who aren't familiar with the word or the topic. Um, some, some really cool halakha and some things you might not have considered, and we'll talk about some of those later. Uh, very powerful, very profound, we're going to get there. Uh, one of the things I, did, I discovered that was... Um, kind of a change of mindset that we may not be accustomed to. It's, you know, here I am coming on the, the coattails of the venerable Scott Martin. He spoke for two whole weeks on our, the, the top, on the biblical concept of finances. So, Yes, it was a good segue, but at the same time, it's we, we raised some important questions like, how much do we give? And you know, and we got some wonderful insights from him. But at the same time, tonight I'm not going to so much say, the thought process isn't going to be so much about how much do we give, it's how do we give. So we're going to keep that in mind, and it's, it's uh, also very important as well. Uh, here's the word tzedakah. And um, we're going to get into some of the purposes here. Uh, one of the, uh, we have a quote from the 
Eretz Kol Chumash here, the Israelite nation is distinguished in three ways. They are compassionate, shy, and benevolent. The last of these traits is derived from our text, to do charity, which appears in Yevamot 79a. And for those of you from reading from the Art Scroll, that's page 83. Uh, we see in Proverbs, you know, constantly quoted through several of my resources, that charity saves from death. It also helps protect us from the evil inclination. In Hebrew, that is the Yetzer Hara. I want to read something for you here from one of the most amazing books I have ever had the privilege to open. Uh, Ahabas Chesed explains that man's evil inclination strives to overwhelm him in two ways. First, it makes every effort to divert man's attention away from the service of God by filling him with the desire for all kinds of worthless, mundane pursuits. Second, the evil inclination seduces man to actively sin and rebel against the will of God. However, I love that word. However, when someone concentrates on acts of tzedakah, he shifts the focus of his life away from self-gratification and personal pleasure. This is the ultimate conquest of the evil inclination, which represents ego and selfishness. Think about that for a second. That's huge. It's like the whole purpose of it is to get us to think outside of ourselves. All right? That's, in, in this world, you know, you know I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ding on Apple here for a second. It's all about I, me. You know? <laughs> and how many millions of those things have, have been sold around the world? I mean, it's, 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 it's pushed. It's, it's sold. It's, it's, it, it, it's part of our, our culture. It's all about me. This completely removes us from the equation. Okay? Another mindset that we may not be used to. It also saves us from poverty. You know, the people who are accustomed to, okay, I'm going to make all this money and hoard it. That's, that's a big one. And just as we know from Scott Martin's talks that it's all God's anyway. You know, God is the provider. He's the one who provided us with the ability to make that money or, or have this skill or whatever. Just so long as we know those things, as long as that's in the forefront of our mind, yes, we have to be able to give it away as well. So that's where we're going. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of our stumbling blocks as well. Uh, again, we have greed, materialism, love of money, um, love of perishable things. Uh, it turns out if we are more giving... Uh, we're giving more to things of this world, we're in turn giving less to the world to come. Think about that for a second. Where are you putting your money? Well, I mean, into, you know, outside of your basic survival, all right? And providing for yourself, providing for um, the needs of others. Uh, how much of your income is going towards the kingdom. Yes, sir? It reminds me of um, sort of 
I actually use that, yes, I actually say that later in the presentation. You're absolutely right. Um, so it's, so suddenly we're starting to see, okay, I have to think outside of myself, but where am I inwardly? Sorry, I didn't mean to hit the mic. That might be a nice pop sound on your audio. <laughs> All right. Uh, what I, I borrowed from several sources for this, and one of the coolest things that I heard uh, was uh, Peter Himmelman, an, an Orthodox Jew who happens to, uh, uh, no less, be Bob Dylan's son-in-law, a musician, has some really cool, uh, though not a, a particularly religious Jew, uh, he, he does try to work some Torah values into the lyrics to some of his songs, and, and this one is just, this is, just, this is incredible. Uh, some of the lyrics to the song, Impermanent Things, go, All these impermanent things, oh how they fool me, dominate and rule me. They keep me waiting here forever. Well, they all add up to zero. They make believe that they're my hero. Then they fill my mind with, with doubt and false desires. Why keep hanging on to things that never stay? Things that just keep stringing us along from day to day. I mean, that's, that's pretty pointed right there, guys. Very powerful. And he, I think that's merciless. You know, he's just cutting straight to the heart of the matter. You know, I mean, are we sitting in front of a TV? Are we giving our time to the kingdom and its works. You know, where, where are, are we focusing on the things which will have lasting value, the permanent things, or are we focusing on impermanent things? All right. So, I just, one of the things that came to my mind is, what kind of impermanent things are you investing into in your life? And it's not a trick question. You have to answer that honestly. I'm not going to go around the room and put you guys on the spot, but how many things in your life? It's, I, I, I didn't enjoy that, that afternoon when I got to really thinking about it because the more I started thinking about the things that I do every day, all day, Well, I'm, I'm pursuing a life of righteousness, yes, and I'm, and I'm, but there's no way we're going to be able to just bring it all, okay? I mean, it's not a trick question, just how many impermanent things are in your life, and, and, and how, into how many of those things are you investing, and with, with how much of your time? So, just some food for thought there, guys, and... Of course, one of those stumbling blocks we mentioned earlier is the idolatry of mammon. That's money. And um, in the Hebrew, it's just, uh, in the Greek, it's just uh, transliterated, right, transliterated right out of the Hebrew, basically. Um, this is one of our biggest struggles. And it's like, ah, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough? Well, that's evidence of lack of faith. Because God said he'll provide. You know, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what kind of clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about these things. With your faith, you know, look at, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Is God not providing for them? How much more so 
will He provide for us? Don't, don't just play those cards close to your chest. You know, money, easy come, easy go. For some of us, easier come. For some of us, a lot easier go. <laughs> um, and idolatry, you know, straight from the Torah. You know, no other gods before me. This is straight from Exodus 20, uh, verses 3 through 5. This is, that's, guys, that's right there in the Big Ten. Do not bow down to them or serve them. Put nothing before the source of all. What is that source? Hashem, absolutely. Exodus 16, 16, uh, talking about the manna. Don't leave it over till morning. What, 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 what were they caught doing? They were hoarding it. You know, those who had little didn't go without, and those who got too much, exactly. There was there was no none left over. I mean, they didn't they they weren't able to. Yeah, it was became infested with maggots or something. It's uh, so we have it, and one of the purposes of us having it is I'm getting there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in the Master's words, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will love one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one completely and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, and I'm all, uh, this was just a note to myself to remember it later. Uh, when, you're, when you're giving, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll bring it up later. But that was uh, a great passage from Luke 16. 13, and it hits the heart of, I, I think, mostly new believers, because they're comfortable, you know, and then, then we get, what, I gotta, you're asking me to part with my hard-earned cash? What's up with that? So it's, um, it, it, it's a stumbling block. And like I said earlier, it comes right from the Hebrew, and it's transliterated right, right into the Greek, and while it's usually used to say money, you know, we would say, I guess, kesef in, in Hebrew, it's primarily used to denote our material possessions, our material possessions. Uh, and, and Yeshua himself refer, reaffirms the words of the Torah here, no other gods. And um, uh, I had a really cool uh, passage from Midrash, Ruth, verse 314. I guess I didn't put it up there. I'm sorry. Um, Jonathan was went straight to the Shema earlier when we were talking about um, the relevance of Kashrut in our lives. And I'm going straight there here as well. Um, when we talk about, you know, all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, the, um, the, these are not ethereal concepts, guys. These are these are very tangible. And oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just you know, if, just help help me. You know, just like tell me to shut up if you have to. I'm just, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to. Uh, sorry about that. Um, all of one heart. All of one's heart is. Almost unanimously, unanimously across the board, understood to mean one's impulses. You know, with with all your heart, 
not, not this thing beating in our chest. Uh, in Jewish reckoning, in, in Hebraic thought, this is the center of our decision making, not the head. This is the, the halev, as, as it were. Uh, one soul, which, you know, at the cost of your soul, you know. So, so even though God will take your soul and has complete control over it, invest it. It's, it's his already. And all one's might, or strength, depending on your translation, all of our financial resources, because ultimately, they're from Hashem. Property, wealth. Um, I'm reminded of the rich young ruler and uh, in, one, in uh, one, his encounter with, with Yeshua, you know, talking about how he's kept the commandments from birth. And then what else? Uh, yes, sir. It's not the sweat of your brow or something like that. It's and and it's not, um, you know. Oh, I'm just going to pray harder or something like that. It's 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 a very tangible thing. All of these things were for the Israelites at the time. This was being taught to them. Um, yes, sir. It doesn't. I would have to say that, especially from my studying, those who are given wealth are given it for a purpose. That is to be a blessing to others, which we'll talk about later. That is to glorify and sanctify the name throughout, throughout the world with everyone in, uh, with, within, with whom you come into contact. So it's... Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So all well, all you know that that's a, that's a great segue. It, it's it's coming up very soon, but I'm going to be talking about the patriarchs. I'm going to need some readers, so get your Genesis chapter 24 geared up, guys. Um, yes, Ken. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, uh, it's easier for us to think about the destruction of, of Sodom. Not Sodom. Uh, it's easy for us to think that it was for sexual misconduct. This, that's one of the biggest misconceptions in, in all the 
all the Bible. Can I get someone to read Ezekiel 16, 19 for me? Basically, the idea here is that they were blessed with abundance in Sodom. And they weren't sharing it. They were hoarding it. Okay, uh, who, who's got it? Go for it. Ezekiel uh, 16, 19. Mm-hmm. Also my bread which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey with which I fed you, uh, you would offer before them for a soothing aroma, so it happened because of the word of God. Maybe I wrote the passage down. No, because it, the prophet Ezekiel is talking. No. In Ezekiel, he's looking, he's looking back in hindsight. And he's explaining the purpose behind the destruction of Sodom. He's saying that they had abundance. They were blessed agriculturally, financially. 1646, maybe? Uh, maybe. So, typo, sorry, not Ezekiel 16.19, but Ezekiel 16.49, my apologies. Don't covet. Strangely, that's uh, one of the big ten that's pretty much only an internal commandment and can't be outwardly displayed. Uh, You know, you you can't be pulled before a a court of law for for what's in your head. for stealing, sexual misconduct, violating the Sabbath, like in Numbers 15, guy picking up sticks, you know. Um, these are the ones that, yes, there's some sort of outward visual, but uh, to not covet. This was uh, the internal commandment that also was a contributing factor to that. I wanted to bring in a cool book that I found, Craig Blomberg's uh, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, which is sort of a nod to the Proverbs 38, 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 8. Um, and this whole book is sort of, it's, to, it's his perspective on correcting materialism that he has seen visible and rampant within the church because he's noticed a huge lack of giving in the body of Messiah, those of us who have professed to be followers of the way, the truth, and the life, uh, the, the way, uh, Yeshua Hamashiach. Uh, his quote here: "This is this is this is huge. Listen to this. It is arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today, including many in the visible church." Materialism. And bigger, better, faster, smaller. We've we got to have it now. 
That's uh, uh, don't get me wrong. I like my my gadgets and I like my guitars, but <laughs> I'm sorry. There you go. Some statistics Craig mentioned in his uh, in his book. Your average American gives only 1.6% to 2.4% of their total annual income to overseas charity. That's not shocking. That's that's I believe that. What hits hard is those of us who would call us believers from the collection pool, as it were, the, um, what's my statistics term, uh, sample data, from my sample data, uh, believers aren't faring too much better with a paltry 2.4%. Uh, it's estimated, based on his calculations, that if all who called themselves genuine followers of Yeshua would give 10% of their income, world hunger would cease to exist. That's, uh, it speaks for itself. Can I get Luke 12:15? Absolutely. And then 12, just a little earlier, 12, 2 through 3. Yes, Ken. Reminded of the Prashim, they would justify themselves before men. You know, the you broaden your phylacteries, you lengthen your tzitzit, and you know you pray openly. You let them know when you're fasting, and, and all of these things. I, I don't see this as being any different. Uh, justifying ourselves before men, you know, don't make a big fuss when you're giving, when you're fasting, when you're doing God's deal. You go into your prayer closet with your talit. That's you and God's time. He knows what you did. Don't try to justify yourselves before men. Don't don't say, "Look what I did." Okay. Um, as we'll, t- we'll, we'll if we can get to it later, there may be a couple opportunities where it's okay to let it be known that charity's going on, but individually, no. Um, I said here, you know, some of my thoughts on this were that we as people make excuses, but us, guys, us in this room, whoever's listening, if you're listening, you're you probably already have the you're already probably predisposed to very similar mindsets to the guys sitting in this room. If that's the case, you're a believer. You've got no excuses. Um, and if and if you don't have a lot of t- money. 
you know, as we're going to talk about later, giving your time, you know, giving your skills, you know, even if it's just volunteering, you know. Uh, any of those things count towards your charity. And, you know, wake up. If you, like Israel and his patriarchs, are blessed, it is so that you can in turn be a blessing to others. That's everyone in this room. That's everyone in this room. And I can't tell you how many excuses I've made. Um, Working on this has made a huge impact on my life. And maybe we can sit down over coffee sometime and we can talk about some of it. To keep a mitzvah. Uh, there are several mitzvot concerning the poor. Can I get Exodus 22, 24 through 26 and Deuteronomy 15, 8? I was going to just bring these up one thing at a time, not just make it all one. Okay, let's hear it. generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. That's what was what was what, what, to the poor man. what was the verb there again? You shall, you shall and lend freely open your hand. Freely open your hand. Hmm, okay. How about Exodus twenty four? Right. Is that not the right passage? Oh, and but that's totally related. It was. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, you're you're on for next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. The idea here is that you know wasn't if you if you looked ahead you could probably see that yes there's there's no contradiction here but it looks like there are and the Maharal explains that giving should be both from a sense of obligation and from our free will you know I love that. you know it's God told us to but. What's, what's, the, what's the famous passage? You know, you get in when the plate's coming around. God loves a cheerful giver, you know. <laughs> um, and some of the some of the things that we that I read about, you know, one, one of my favorites was this um, interest-free loan societies. How you know congregations would would create you know pools of money for needy families and individuals that. You know, with just some timely, you know, timely assistance, they can be rehabilitated and pay it back. 
but because it's in a community pot, there's no need for interest. There's, there's no need to charge these people who are, you know, taking of the free loans. So it, it makes it more about aiding an individual than it does for profit. And if there's going a little bit further, Rambam actually says that if if you give money and you're not prepared to never get it back, don't give it. That's that's pretty powerful too. You know, if if you're giving timely assistance to someone, you know, who who really needs it, genuinely needs it, say, Yeah, man, get me back just at your convenience. We hear that a lot. Sure. But if it's a, a genuine need for, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, just give it to them. Uh, doing some studies on the, the mitzvot led me into Ramban's. This, I found a lot, but this one was one of the, the, um, the more profound, so I just wanted to go ahead and uh, discuss this one. Uh, Commandment number 256 of the negative mitzvot is the prohibition uh, from mistreating orphans and widows. You know, one who has... And I had to figure out how are they defining an orphan. And that's either one who has lost either parent. It's, it's one who has lost either parent and they are... Uh, until they are self-sufficient without having to rely on an adult assistance. Okay, so that that's kind of sets the ground for what an orphan is here in this passage. And the cool thing about it is that this, it includes treating them harshly by one's words or actions. Okay, it, 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 the prohibition includes treating them harshly. So speak to them with very soft and pleasant words. Do business with them in the nicest possible manner. And do so to the extreme. Because one who is not careful to act in this manner has transgressed this prohibition. I appreciate when people treat me that way too. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you just, you know, you're getting the full treatment, man. <laughs> and God explained the, and guaranteed the punishment for one who transgresses this prohibition in his statement, I will display my anger and kill you. This is God looking out for his children. This is, this is, you know, for if there's no one to step in and help them, we know who's got their back. And what, what's amazing about this chapter of wisdom is if you have a society that embraces this, mm-hmm. there's no exploitation mm. of Mm-hmm. Um, because you're putting your own life at risk when you do start going down that kind of a path. Mm. So, uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, so, all right, I'm going to need some Genesis readers, guys. Genesis 24-25. Um, wow, my font is too big. Daddy Warbucks, a.k.a. the Wealthy Patriarchs. That's what's supposed to read up there. Um, Genesis twenty four twenty five. 
and then 26, 12 through 13, okay, and 30, 43. 24, 25. Go for it. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. Is that, is that? Is it fourteen twenty-five? Did I did I do it again? Is it? Uh, well, I'm talking about. I'm looking for a demonstration of their wealth. That, that's what I'm looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That this basically what I did right here was this is Abraham. He's the wealthy guy. Isaac talks about his. His wealth, is that correct on that one? Let's hear that one. Okay, let's hear it. Here we see men of profound wealth. Granted, a lot of it is measured in livestock, but that was the currency of the day. You know, we look at Job. His was measured in livestock as well. And you know, gold, silver. You know, we're seeing a trend here. God is blessing his people. Because when they left Israel, uh, Egypt, Mitzrayim, Silver, gold, all the vessels, all the furnishings, all this wealth from Egypt. A lot of it went into the golden calf. Yes? Which reminds me of Perfect example. Yeah. of charity and this this is this is cool uh, remember how I mentioned in the beginning where it's not so much how much to give but how to give this is where we're going with that guys um, in his work laws of gifts to the poor seems pretty straightforward he talks about the methods by which you should give and he ranks them Say, okay, if you do this, this is this is top shelf. This is the this is the best thing you can do. If you can't quite do that, do this. If you can't quite do that, do this. All the way down. Alright? So this was very encouraging to me, by the way, because there are times that I've I have you know, I was like down here on level six or seven and I'm like, gosh man, I really feel bad. I can't give this guy anything right now. I just 
I just spent all my money or I didn't leave the house with much cash or something and, you know, whatever the case, and I felt horrible. Well, there are times that that's okay. Um, so let's go right into it. The greatest form of charity or tzedakah is, is level one, which is unsurpassed by any other, and that is to give a helping hand to a Jew who is on the verge of financial ruin. Uh, to me, I, I immediately thought of, you know, this. it's teach a man to fish. You know, you are giving a man a way to provide for himself. You know, he has become self-sufficient. All right? A gift or a loan. You know, enter into a partnership with him. Help him find a job. Providing him with gainful employment. You know, this is... This is top shelf, guys. You know somebody who's in need? This is over the top. Multiple mitzvot right here. Just That's it. Any of this should be done to strengthen a person before he has to ask for it. So, you know somebody just lost their job, you know, they're, you know, don't have a lot of savings. You know, this this is this is big. You know, say Get the community together, say, hey, you know, we know what we got going on here. You know, we know he's good for it. You know, this guy has this potential. Whatever the case is, um, I would love to just find some stories about, about how this has been done. Um, just to me, this, just the joy and elation that, that, that this can cause. I, I would just I want to hear some stories from you know, uh, other communities around, around, the, around the world and see. To me, that's just, that's amazing. Um, can I get Leviticus 2535, if I quoted it correctly here? <laughs> if, if, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner. He shall live with you. Been there, done that. <laughs> Um, and the idea is to support him before he falls and becomes needy. So it's not a it's not a free ride, of course. You know the guy's going to be working. You know, he's got to be showing. You know he's looking for the job. He's you know if he's not looking for the job, he's dusting the he's he's brushing the dust off the resume. If he's you know. You know that we're not just kind of kicking back. Oh man, my brother's got me. You know, it's 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 not like that, guys. Um. Ahavas <laughs> Chesed um, twenty five says that upholding a poor person to save him from falling below his level has priority over supporting a wealthy person from slipping from his level of prosperity, even if the wealthy person is a neighbor or a relative. Yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, we're all in agreement. That's pretty much common sense. But it's just saying, it's just taking that emphasis off, okay, someone's already got it, you know, their 401k tanked, big deal, but they've still got their house. They've still got income. They've still got a, a way of rehabilitating themselves. This guy, you know, he... Banks calling in his, you know, his uh, his mortgage, you know, just double bankruptcy, you know, you know, 
had to take out a loan to get the car serviced because the cars, you know, the transmission went out. You know, the guy is just, just financial ruin, right? You know, headed his way. Um, if agreed, agreed, it uh, that they are where. Uh, I, that always reminds me of the passage where, you know, but but master, when when were you hungry? When when were when were you naked? When 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 did you know when in you need clothing and stuff like that? You do these to the least of me. You're doing it to him, you know. And and people don't realize that when you see the the bum on the street and it's like, well, this guy. I don't know if he's you know gonna you know pull a gun on me or if he's just you know gonna you know beat me up and take my wallet or you know when we see these you know individuals who are they're poor. They're homeless. You know, we we we, th- we think in our comfort that, yeah, you know, gosh, what's this guy going to do? We, we don't know. But it puts the emphasis on them. And we see that we have to treat them as if this is the master of the universe. That's, yes, sir. I think it does show us his Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. When Yeah, I mean, it, oh, I, I think about you know employees with positions where they have bonuses. You know, well, what are you doing with that bonus? You know, did you leave a big fat tip for the waitress who, you know, um, who appears to be you know. Pregnant, but you don't see a ring on her finger. Something tells me she's going to need that a lot more than you're going to need a new lawnmower. You know, just just things like that. You know, I'm not saying just give for the sake of giving. You know, that's that's going to be one of the differences between um, you know maaser and charity. But don't do it haphazardly. That's not what I'm advocating. It, you know, premeditated. You know, to a a person, uh, an organization, an individual that is in genuine need. Level two, double anonymity. The next level is to give a charitable, charitable gift to the poor in such a way that the donor, that would probably be one of you guys, is unaware of the identity of the recipient, nor does the recipient know who you are. That's cool. That's cool. Because you can just kind of walk away and say, man, I know it's going to a great cause. They have, um, some synagogues have people who are specifically there as the go-between. They're just, they're responsible for distributing the funds. Say, hey, uh, some guy dropped off, you know, a thousand bucks. We heard you're in need. You know, here it goes. Yeah, somebody donated. 
You know, we know you need it. There's, there's a go-between. Uh, I forget the actual term for this guy. This is described as pure charity, lishma, performed for its own sake. That's beautiful. An example of this is, is uh, lishkas chasuim, the chamber of the discreet in the temple. The, uh, the tzadikim would deposit money into it quietly. And the poor sons of good families supported themselves from it discreetly. That's from the Mishnah. And Shechelim, appropriately enough. A modern example of this is the community charity chest. One should not contribute to, to the community charity chest unless he knows that the person in charge of it is a trustworthy and wise and capable of administering it properly as Rav Avigdor, I mean, uh, Rabbi Hananiah ben Teradion. And this is from Bava Basra. You know, we've, we have something similar to that. Uh, and it's one of the most trustworthy men I know. So if you've got to distribute some funds, you feel like you need, there needs to be a dispersal, you know, I'm sure this guy can take care of it. Level three, incognito benefactor. I like that word, incognito. <laughs> uh, the next, th level three is to, is when you know to whom you're giving, but the poor person is un unaware of your identity. That's also cool. It's like you, you, you just walk away. I've, I've heard stories about, you know, I, I, th maybe, I think maybe it was Dave Ramsey or something, he was talking about, you know what, I think we should just leave that here. You know, just like just like a hundred bucks for someone who just you know you tell he he could tell they were having a bad day they were down on their luck you know looks like the, the looks like their boss just let them go or something like that and it's like let's just leave that here and just just walk away and it's like man they they must have had such a rush from that you know I'm I hear about things like that and and uh, done a little experimenting it's it's a rush <laughs> the the goodbye Sadaka. Uh, is not able to serve as a middleman and the donor must personally allocate the charity. He should still attempt to deliver it in secrecy. You know, throw it through their window. <laughs> uh, you know, send it with a messenger. Say, hey, I'll give you five bucks. Walk this up to the door, knock on it and say, hey, somebody said just give this to you. The idea is to not embarrass the poor person. This is also huge. Level four is the unknown recipient. When the recipient knows from whom he is receiving, while the giver is unaware of the identity of the recipient. <coughs> Excuse me. This was the practice of certain great sages who had wrapped their money in their cloak and throw it over their shoulders behind them so that the poor could take the money without being seen, thus avoiding embarrassment. That's cool. Um, you just walk through the, through the poor part of town or something like that. I don't know how that worked. It's, I don't wear a cloak. <laughs> um, level five, the next step, a level lower, is to give before being asked. That's the donor, one of you guys, to present the money directly to the poor man, but to give it to him before he asks. 
Let that sink in for a second. Everyone needs to be aware. Just like the night when we filled out the birthday card for Aline, um, we, we need to be more aware. Actively seek that awareness, guys. Actively seek it. I mean, how can, how can you give? I mean, this, this was my struggle. This was my struggle. I was like, well, I want to give. To whom should I give? Where's their need? Stuff like that, and and I've been, you know, doing some research, been looking around, been asking around. I'm like, okay, it doesn't take long, guys. It's, but it's just huge. When a confrontation between the donor and the poor recipient is unavoidable, one should make a special effort to enhance his mitzvah before being asked. With this sensitivity and kindness, one emulates the ways of the Almighty, who says. And it will be that before they call, I will answer. That is cool. That's Isaiah 65, 24. I love that. Level six, a generous response. Um, too many times have I uh, found myself in this place. Uh, the, the next level, a step lower, is to give an appropriate amount to the poor after being asked. I, talk, uh, I remember coming back from... Jerusalem, the first time I got to, actually the first time I got to pray at the Kotel, um, and I'm walking around, getting down, and you're just approaching this, this monolithic wall, and I was just, wow, this is incredible, and all the way over there walking, tadaka, tadaka, you've got people walking up to you, They're, you know, they get their little cup, they get their hand open and everything, and I'm, you know, give some shekels to a few of them, and then I'm in the middle of my midday prayers at the wall. The holiest site in all of Judaism. <laughs> and Yeah, on the planet. And you know, I'm, I'm in my prayer mode, and I got a guy like, tzedakah, tzedakah, right up next to me. It, that's a reality check, guys. I mean, he... He's not stupid. He's not stupid, that's for sure. You know, he sees you praying there, he knows you're you know, at least somewhat righteous or you're faking it. Uh, but... Well, I, I reached into my pocket, I, get, I pulled out some shekels, I was like, ah, oh, there's the, the, what is it, the ten shekel piece, and then there's a couple other ones, I, I gave him some of the small ones. He's like, ah, yeah, he saw that I kept the ten shekels. He's like, ah, he's like, he wasn't going to leave me alone until I gave it all to him. <laughs> It's like, let me just finish my prayers. I gave it to him. And I was happy to. It was like, oh, all right, all right, all right. It's no big deal. Um, oh, sure, sure. Isaiah 65, 24. Sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah, I just, that was uh, all over Jerusalem. It's, um, and then I, uh, what do we have here in the States? What we, we have Salvation Army around, around 
December, we get ringing the bell, ringing the bell. That's where we like walk by. It's like, <laughs> cover your eyes. Don't don't make eye contact. <laughs> no, no, no. G- give to those guys too. Level seven. Uh, one step lower. Bestowing words of comfort. Um, if you if you have to give the poor man less than the appropriate amount, give it with a smile and a pleasant disposition. You know, if you, you're robbing yourself of the mitzvah entirely. If you say, it's my last dollar, man, I can't give it to this guy. Just give it to him. Don't just give nothing if you can't give what you want, you know. You know, it's like, well, I mean, I got a $10 bill, but, you know, he needs, you know, he really needs 100 to pay that bill, whatever. Give what you can and say, man, I wish I had more. Feel genuinely bad about it, you know, and offer encouragement. Say, God's doing something in your life, man. And I need you to, you know, just just be receptive to what he has for you. Offer words of encouragement. Be there for him. And give him more next time. It's better to give a small amount with a sincere apology and regret to give nothing at all, thus losing the mitzvah and depriving the poor of everything. If you're, and if you're poor, uh, offer encouraging words, you know. Offer to help them with something, you know, with your hands, physically. It's it's stepping outside of our comfort zone a lot of times to do these kind of things, and and if if it, you guys ever want to do something like that, uh, if you need my number, just let me know. I'm I'm always looking for an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Level eight, giving with misgivings. Uh, the next level, a step lower, is to give charity with sadness. All right, if, 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 if you're not going to give uh, with, with gusto, if you're not going to do it with alacrity, that's one of my favorite words. If, you're, if you can't do it like that, don't do it all. If, if you're going to say, here, just take it, okay? That's, there's, there's no room for that, and that's actually sin. Because... Uh, it says the type of this type of callous contribution is not even considered among the Ramban's eight levels of charity, for it is actually sin. The giver transgresses the prohibition. Let your heart not feel bad when you give him. Straight from the Torah, Devarim fifteen ten. All right. So if you're going to give, you need to feel good about it. All right. Uh, the very lowest level of tzedakah is to give with hidden, unexpressed feelings of reluctance. Um, I hope I quoted Acts 5 right. Uh, is that Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah. That was huge. We know what happened there. Uh, if the donor openly expresses his annoyance and dislike of giving, then he loses the entire merit of his tzedakah, even if he gave a large, generous amount. Agreed. Agreed. Your blessers busted, as you like to say. Exactly. Are you doing it just to look good in front of your other rich buddies, or I, I would question that person's motives all day.
text, right. uh, whatever, whatever <laughs> it is, would that be dealing with misgiving? I mean, would that qualify as level eight? I would agree. I, I, would, I would think so. And there, there's a lot of uh, halakha related to that kind of things in um, this book here. Rabbi Avraham Chaim Ferrer, uh, the Tzedakah Treasury, an anthology of Torah teachings about the mitzvah of charity to instruct and inspire. And guys, this book will change your life. Yes, Jeremiah. I have a question. Yes, um, I have an answer. Remotely, would um, kind of guilt trip fall into that? So, for instance, you give something, you're like, yeah. Oh, here. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I feel bad for him, I want to help him, but it's like. Okay. You just want to get him out of your hair, you, well, you know, or. Like or I'd say it's giving with misgivings. Okay. Yeah, I, sorry. Go, go ahead. Well, I think, and you probably talked about this later, giving to the point where it hurts. Yes. Is, is ex, you know, almost expected. And I think that, maybe feeling pain when, when, when you're donating something and helping someone out, that is one emotion that I guess. And I feel pain every time I take my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and which of your family members has your credit card? <laughs> That's a really great point, and it's a great segue into this next slide. Um, uh, one of my, one, I always wanted to try and get some connection to some of the feast days, and, and I've got a limited time here, and I'm, and I'm trying to bring this to a close. But um, I've got some other really cool stuff to share. But, there, I mean, there was such a huge topic. This is in no way a comprehensive look at it. It's you know, just kind of a, um, an overview, and I've, I've actually got tons of material that didn't make it to the slide presentation, so I didn't know what I was working with as far as time tonight, so I'm trying not to be too verbose, but at the same time, there's just so much cool stuff on this topic. And, um, the Haftar reading for the Yom Kippur uh, Torah reading is Isaiah 57.14 through 58.14, and just to kind of summarize it, there's this road construction theme that um, began back in chapter 40, you know, this, uh, this, this route uh, into Messianic Jerusalem. And here Hashem is talking about how Hashem rejects the false piety of those who go just going through the motions. They're just fasting and, and repentance, but don't really follow up with genuine change, concern for the needy, social justice, and acts of loving kindness. You know, fast days such as Yom Kippur and Purim, um, it, it is. It's huge. You're fasting with, you know, God's people in remembrance of, you know, them being saved from the first attempt at genocide of God's people. That, that's huge. But on that same day, you're, you're giving tzedakah. You are. I mean, that's, that's just the tradition. Well, that same day. exactly. And that's exactly the point this next statement makes. Rather than simply abstaining from food on a fast day, the Lord prescribes providing food for the hungry. He tells us to look after the needs of the homeless and provide clothing for those who lack. So, you know, 
make some sandwiches the night before. You know, I mean, we're afflicting ourselves, but that doesn't mean we can't give. Um, it, it takes the emphasis off of us guys. That's you know, it's not fasting just you know for fasting's sake. It's so that the emphasis is not on us. It's it's not about us. It's about those less fortunate. Um, we're looking to the needs of others. It accomplishes the very intention of the fast, namely to break the trance of selfishness and self-indulgence. Uh, can I get a Matthew 25, 35 through 36? supposed to be doing, guys. Um, all of these, um, you know, I, didn't, I, I feel like I may have neglected the Master's teachings on this very topic. So here's, in his very own words, what he says. Give discreetly and without fanfare. Don't let the right hand know what the left is doing. And, you know, similar. Uh, give to those in need and don't turn away from those in need. And that, that sounds redundant, but it's really not. Don't turn away from those in need. And give to those in need. Uh, Give without worrying about your own welfare, for our Father will provide. We mentioned that earlier. Sell possessions and give to the poor. Does that mean sell every single thing you have? No. But if there's a need, you don't have the liquid cash on hand, sell something. I mean, we all have abundance. You know, I mean, we're not even going to talk about my closet. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm working on it. Um, one of the most famous, uh, these are some of the famous examples from Scripture. We talked earlier about the, the rich young ruler who, who, did, who said, I kept all these commandments from my youth, and here's the last thing you need to do. Go sell all your money. I mean, go, go sell all your possessions and give the money for the poor and follow me. That was a, that was one man who couldn't hack it, and the widow's might. You know, she put everything she had in there. Uh, I don't think we realized that. You know, this was a, a, a woman. You know, next to no clout in her day. You know. Yes, I, that's what I was saying. A widow, so she gave away. You know. She put her last two cents in, as it were, you know, and if that's the case, you know, she, she may not eat for days. This was, this was huge for her. So, um, you talked about giving till it hurts, and that's treasure in heaven right there. Um, we hear about the, the evil eye. Anyone know what that is? It is, it is. It's not just a, a glare, a glower. One of those fancy words for a, an odd look at someone, it is stinginess. Um, in prayer, forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Kind of gives it new meaning. 
You know, don't don't keep a running tab, guys. Um, lend to those from whom you expect. Um, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, you know, even sinners lend to sinners. You know, tax collectors. You know, even they they do that. So, gift in the cheerful fashion. And of course, you know. A lot of emphasis on the widow and the orphan. Be mind, mindful to the most vulnerable in society. Um, the widow, the orphan. And James, you know, brother of Yeshua, calls this religion that is pure and undefiled. Master tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, th- this is uh, a really pointed question. What's on your mind most of the day? You know, because if there's something you're thinking about more than God, chances are that's your God. You know, is it work? Is it woman? You know, for for the guys in here, is it is it a woman? For me, is it that new guitar? How about a new shotgun or something? <laughs> no chance on that, man. Uh, chances are that these things are your God. Um, and that hit home to me. Um, that's huge. So, uh, can I get a Luke 14.33 and an 18.22 real quick? 14.33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The idea here, guys, is um, yeah, I'm, this is an, an interpretation, of course, but it's uh, it's not that God wants us to go without. He's not saying that at all. But the idea that we should be able to, at any point, say, "Okay, you need my house. You know, you need anything I have. It's yours. You need it." Uh, to to not have that. A materialistic connection to it. Um, that, you know, there's always going to be another one. You know, it's God will provide. And you have to have the faith to believe that. You know, I, I, I don't share this with many people, but I'm going to say, say it anyway. I had a dream at one point, uh, probably three and a half years ago, and you know, I don't consider myself, you know, prophetic or or anything like that. But it was the the first time I actually felt that God had spoken to me, and it's the only time I feel like God has spoken to me. And it was in a dream, and a being of light at the time, you know, I, I perceived it to be Yeshua, just came to me, and um, I sort of left my sleeping body there, ethereal, and and showed me a lot of the blessings in my life, pretty much all the blessings in my life, and things that I had never even considered, things I'd forgotten, things I took for granted. You know, during this this time, I'm just like, whoa. It's like mind's eye is opening, okay? And then, you know, some of the people who were closest to me in, in, in my life at that time showed me lots of the blessings in their lives as well. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And then just to kind of hit the point home 
one more, he, uh, did it for me one more time because I'm forgetful. And, <laughs> and I, I woke up in tears, you know, because at the very end of the dream, the question was, if at some point I ask you to leave all this behind and follow me, could you do it? You know, I, I woke up in tears from that, guys. And it was, it was one of the most life-changing events of my life. Because, I mean, sure, I have cool stuff. You know, but am I using it for God's glory? I'd like to think I am. Um, God knows my heart. He sees my intentions. He sees how I'm using it, what kind of steward I'm being. But in the end, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. And it will pass away when this world passes away. Um, the idea is just that, you know, we're not, we're not required, I, I don't think, from, from what Yeshua is teaching us here, to sell everything. But if we need to, if he asks it of us, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Uh, we're almost done here. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the PKA about myself. I'm looking forward to from Passover to, is it Shavuot? Or Sukkot, yes. From Passover to Sukkot, reading that on Sabbath afternoons. I vote 513. There are four character types among people. A, one who says, my property is mine and yours is yours. This is an average character type, but some say that this is characteristic of Sodom. More on that to follow. B, Mine is yours and yours is mine. This is an unlearned person. See, mine is yours and yours is yours. Is scrupulously pious. D. Yours is mine and mine is mine. This is the wicked person. Um, the explanation given here for the characteristic of Sodom is whose residence displayed... The, ah, I quoted it correctly here. <laughs> uh, whose residence displayed the epitome of selfishness. She did not strengthen the hand of the needy. According to this view, having an attitude of each man for himself is not merely average, but unethical, since it negates the entire concept of charity and benevolence. Yeah. Yes, sir. I have to say,
this lady, I, I, you know, I mean, it was obviously she did not have much at all, and yet she was cooking a feast for <coughs> us, you know, uh, and so you're absolutely right. Kill a fatted calf. Yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, if we could only have more fine examples like that. And, and I've been at your Sabbath table many times, for which I'm very grateful. grateful um, the way you guys open your home, that's incredible. Uh, the second one that I wanted uh, from the Peer Cave Vote was, there are four types of donors to charity. This was immediately... Uh, pertinent. A, one who wishes to give himself but wants others to, not to give, he begrudges others. B, that others should give but that he should not give, he begrudges himself. C, that he should give and that others should give, is pious. And D, that he should not give and that others should not give, is wicked. Um, in reference to the evil eye from earlier, uh, he begrudges, this is literally, his eye is evil with regard to others. He doesn't want them to accrue and merit blessing for their charitable act. Or you could also look at it as he begrudges the needy any extra charity. Um, and, and when it talks about he begrudges himself, this is explained as the man begrudges himself of the merit he would accrue for him from giving alms. He's more concerned about holding on to his wealth than about the greater blessing that he would receive for giving charity. So, um, is it ever okay? I'm going to skip the the discussion question there. Is it ever okay to publicize charity? Um, that's some really cool insights I wanted to share real quick, um, and then we'll be wrapping it up here. Um, Haphazard charity or precision tithing um, may, be, may or may not be cons uh, familiar with the term ma'aser as it relates to this whole topic of giving. Uh, the mitzvah of tzedakah is really only half the story of charity of distribution. The second half of the story is a separate mitzvah called ma'aser, tithing, which serves to define and delineate the parameters of charity by determining exactly how much should optimally be given away. A person who distributes tzedakah haphazardly without specifically setting aside ma'aser has earned only the mitzvah of tzedakah. One who carefully sets aside ma'aser and distributes it charitably has gained two mitzvot, both ma'aser and tzedakah. Double whammy, guys. Um, and then 135, this is cool. And then I know there's some, you know, some cool stuff about the taxes and you know how it, how we treat it with our own personal incomes and everything. Um, let's see. Based on his earnings, a person here's here's a, a question that's been posed. Based on his earnings, a person owes a certain amount of t of income tax. However, because of the charitable contributions he made, the amount he owes the IRS is lowered. Does the amount of money he saved belong to tzedakah since it was acquired by virtue of his charitable donations. For example, a person whose tax bill was originally $10,000 has his taxes lowered to $8,000 because of his charitable contributions. Does the $2,000 saved belong to Tzedakah? 
I mean, the book is full of cool questions and scenarios like this. You want to know what it is? This money definitely belongs to the earner and not to Tzedakah. He earned the money in the first place. The charity which he also gave from his own money merely provided him with a legal means of exempting more of his own earnings from taxes. Therefore, the money belongs, belongs to him. In our example, the person who earned $50,000 had $10,000 in estimated taxes withheld from his salary in the course of the year. He was obligated to tithe 10%. His, uh, his 40,000, sorry, 10% of his $40,000 take-home pay, or $4,000. At the end of the year, the IRS, is rec in recognition of this person's charitable contributions, refunded him $2,000 of the 10000 originally withheld. The 2000 belongs to the earner, but he must give 10% of that, or 200 to the maaser. Of course, the, if the IRS sends him a refund for any other reason, this money must also be tithed. Okay, so that should answer a lot of questions right there. Basically, when it talks about, you know, tithing on your, on your income, what you make, um, it's the Jewish reckoning of it. You know, I like how Greg put it about a, a pastor that, that uh, from the church where he attended at one point, like, you know, you, you tithe on your net or on your gross? What do you want, a net blessing or a gross blessing? <laughs> uh, the idea here in Hebraic thought is that Okay, fifty thousand dollars net income. I mean, uh, of your of your of your taxable income, or you pay ten thousand dollars on that. Okay, you're only responsible for tithing on that four thousand. I mean, on that forty thousand, because the other money that went to taxes, it's as if you didn't make it. To me, that that rings true to the example of give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, I think the master affirms that for us. Um, there are tons of really cool scenarios like that in here. Uh, let me see. Was there one more that I wanted to give? Um, benefits. What if a person works for a company that provides him with a fringe benefit of paying for his medical insurance? That's a good one. This is worth approximately $3,000 per year. Must he give Maaser from that amount? Cool answer. If the worker would have purchased a health insurance policy on his own, uh, sorry, if the worker would have purchased a health insurance policy on his own if his company would not have provided one, then this is pure profit and he must tithe it. However, if he is the kind of person who never buys health insurance for himself, then there is no monetary gain for him and he need not tithe $3,000 paid by the company on his behalf. Okay? You're like, who would do that? you got to have health insurance. Well, my company only paid for half of it. Uh, one, of my, one of my first jobs right out of college. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to skimp on this for a little while. And I went without health insurance. So would I have been responsible for that? No. Because I, I chose uh, perhaps unwisely to go without it. But I was like, hey, that example applies to me. So if you choose to get it? Do you not choose to get it? Um, I, I could go on. This is just, I can't recommend this book enough. Uh, it's called The Tzedakah Treasury. Um, I borrowed a lot of my resources from you know, a decidedly um, 
limited pool. It was either First Fruits of Zion, you know, the, the, their, their tithing series, their, what, their Treasures in Heaven series, a couple Torah Club things. Uh, this book, the, uh, of course, the Art Scroll Chumash, uh, Blomberg's book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches. Um, let's see, anything else on there? Yeah. The Art Scroll Chumash, some of their commentaries. Uh, Chabad.org. There's, there's some really good stuff out there. Um, that's only what's included in this slideshow presentation. There, I found tons more stuff. I really wish I could share with you more. I see some yawning. I see some guys ready to get some wine and get out of here. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this was. Yeah, and uh, do do we have any any questions or or anything? Oh, sorry. What? I'm sorry. Okay. Well, guys, you you. Oh, go ahead. There's the, well, it's for me. I, I I knew right from the beginning when I began this study that how can you do a, a a study on charity when you're talking about okay giving this amount without specifically addressing maaser and tithing itself. So it's it, it's almost um, it's almost required uh, follow up material and some of the halakha. That's, that's involved is so cool. When you start talking about, um, you know, it's it's stereotyped that Jews are good with money, and rightfully so. If you're tithing properly, <laughs> man, when you're talking about, uh, for example, um, you got two guys selling. A widget. You got you know, they're selling uh, Shabbat candles, whatever. Okay, so you got Gleiberman's over here, and you got Walmart over here, whatever. You know, Shlomo over here, Yitzhaki over here. Let's just use Hebrew names. Um, both guys are selling Shabbat candles. All right, and this one comes in a pack at Shlomo's place for for ten shackles. Yitzhaki, on the other hand, he's got the hookup. He's part of a chain. He can sell those same Shabbat candles. For six shekels, all right. Here's where it gets really cool. Yes, it's more money to buy from store A, but you also know that he's an entrepreneur. You also know the business hasn't been very good, and that he could be uh, losing his business soon. Okay, so that being the case. You can look at the price over here. Six shekels, and they're very secure. Ten shekels, they need the money. All right, so take the difference. That four shekels above and beyond what you would have paid this guy over here. Do you know that if you're keeping track, keeping the books the way you should be, that four shekels is going towards your, your charity. That counts, guys. It counts. Tons of cool examples like that. If you're scrupulous with your, your bookkeeping, it's no wonder that that, that that stereotype holds true. It's because you know, you've got people who are 
keeping track of every dollar. You know? You open your home on Shabbat. You open your home every Tuesday night and every other, every other Shabbat. Okay? There's value to that, guys. Um, there's... And, and it's not robbing you of the mitzvah either. It's not robbing you of the mitzvah. It's... It's like if you're keeping track of what your the first step is to be sure. Okay, based on what you your income is being is knowing exactly how much you're responsible for. First step. Okay, if you can if you can only do this. Yes, that's just that's just kind of a preview. That's just kind of a preview. Yes. Yes. Do you have the? Uh, The one we like to use. Guys, I really appreciate your attention. And uh, I see a couple smoking brains over there. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too much information to throw at you. I, I didn't throw at you an entirely new language. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. <laughs> I didn't try to teach you guys Arabic. <laughs> Man, my brain was smoking from those two classes. But they were great. They were great. Very great. Okay, guys. May it be your will. Oh, I'm sorry. Next one. Prayer after study. Here we go. Uh, I thank you, Adonai, my God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil, and receive reward. And they toil, and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Thank you, guys.